Well, I'll start my own business. How hard can it be? Bzzz. We'll see who brings in more honey. He's thinking about bees again. And welcome to Baseball by Design. I am SportsLogos.net minor league baseball correspondent Paul Caputo, broadcasting live, as always, from the Helmet Sunday Hall of Fame in my basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. Today we're going to talk about the AAA affiliate of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim in California, the Salt Lake Bees. I'll be speaking with Baseball by Design wildlife correspondent Ranger Amy Burnett, who will use the phrase butt waggle on multiple occasions. I'll be speaking with minor league baseball fan Zach Beeson, who will talk about the connection between this team and his faith. And right now, I'm very pleased to be joined by Steve Klauke, who is the voice of the Salt Lake Bees. The voice of the Salt Lake Bees for more than 4,000 games for all 28 seasons of the team's existence. Steve Klauke, thank you so much for joining me. It's good to be here, Paul. I always uh, look forward to it. So it's been seven years, so it's been a while. It has been, I, I looked this up, it has been since August of 2014 when you and I spoke for the story that I was writing for sportslogos.net about the origin of this team. It was really interesting to have that conversation with you because there's a lot, you know, a lot that's sort of unexpected, I think, about where this nickname comes from for people who aren't familiar with with the, that aspect of the culture in, in Utah. So I'll just, I'll, I'm going to give you the floor here, if you don't mind. Would you explain how come a team in Salt Lake City called the Salt Lake Bees would be called the Bees? Well, to start with, uh, we were the Salt Lake Buzz starting with our first season in 1994. And then in 2000, uh, Georgia Tech found out our nickname was the Buzz. And apparently they had trademarked Buzz for their mascot. Now, you think of Pacific Coast League baseball team and a, uh, an ACC uh, college uh, athletic program could peacefully coexist, but they wanted us to uh, remove the name. So uh, we lost the lawsuit, although they had to pay over a million dollars in uh, lawyer fees. So I think we won. Uh, changed the name to Stingers. Uh, on the suggestion of a uh, an advertising agency in town, I was never thrilled about it. And then when the late Larry Miller, the owner of the Jazz, bought the uh, bees, uh, one of the first things he wanted to do was change the name to Bees, which was the, the name of the team uh, from like 1915 on, off and on, whether it be PCL or Pioneer League. Uh, and obviously the reference there is uh, Utah's nickname is beehive state so it's it was i think it's very appropriate but the problem at the time was the burlington bees had that name in the midwest league and we had to uh acquiesce them to make sure it was okay to use it and uh, i'm i don't know this for a fact I, i've got a feeling some money exchanged hands but <laughs> every year in our game program when we had a game program uh they got a full page ad because uh people in utah uh, of the of the lds faith uh, their trek west back in the 1800s began in Nauvoo, Illinois, which is about like 20 minutes from Burlington. And so basically the ad said, hey, when you come to Nauvoo, stop by and see us at the ballpark. You referenced that Buzz logo and uh, or the, the Buzz nickname. That was a good logo. I liked that old Buzz logo and, and, and nickname. The Stingers, I think, was was less good. Uh, yes. um, but then obviously, you know, the current look that you have with the bees is, is a really terrific brand. That's one, you know, one of my favorites. I've been to a few games out there. I always mm -hmm. love getting there and I always have to buy something with that bee on it. Cause I just, you know, I really <laughs> enjoy it. It's a classic um, name, a classic logo. And, uh, uh, in, in this day and age where we have baby cakes and space cowboys, I'm very happy to have a normal sane nickname as opposed <laughs> to some of these others. 
<laughs> so can you can you explain to to people who are not from there what the connection is between bees and the the Mormon settlers in Utah? Well, again, it's a it's a the state is known as the beehive state. Now, I'm not a a native of the of the state, so I'm really not sure what the the whole story is. But the, uh, obviously, uh, you know, the worker bees and uh, those people, the pioneers, were obviously hard workers to get from the western end of Illinois all the way out to uh, the Salt Lake Valley. So uh, I think that's just kind of a a thing that stuck with them. And you know, obviously, all three nicknames have had a bees connotation to it. Now we finally got down to brass tacks. And starting in 2006, we just actually used bees. But it has a lot to do with the history and the pioneers of the state. Was there something about, I feel like I remember there was something about the buzz nickname being something that they wanted teams that ended in a Z because they had the uh, the Utah Jazz there. So there were other teams in Utah that ended in a Z, which also explains how come the Orem Owls with a Z, who are now mm-hmm. the Northern Colorado Owls with a Z, ended with a Z. What was it about uh, the, the letter Z there? Was, did it just become a thing? It just became a thing because of the jazz, and uh, and and obviously Buzz just happened to have the double Z's. And of course, our owner at the time was Joe Buzas. Now, Buzz was never his nickname, but he spelled his name B-U-Z-A-S. So he, he dropped the as and added the extra Z, and and there you have it. All right. So the new owner at the time, when the name change happened, was Larry Miller, and you referenced that 1915 team. What was uh, you've been there? You know, you've been there for the duration of this. What was the the sort of public sentiment throughout the course of these nicknames? Was there a, a favorite? Do you think bees is the the one where they settled on is is the the best in terms of the community? In talking to the fans, uh, I mean, they're very happy with bees. It, it's a, it's a natural. But if you uh, if you put them against the wall and say, okay, what nickname do you want? I think Buzz would win out. People really like that name. It was unique and uh, it was fun. And obviously, as you mentioned, the logo was really cool. Uh, so uh, I think uh, Buzz would beat out bees in a close vote with the Stingers not getting any votes. Stingers not getting any votes. <laughs> the bee is batting right-handed. There is a rarely seen version of it where they just flip it on its side and the bee is batting left-handed. Have you ever seen the one where he's facing from, from right to left? I've seen a couple of teams on the road do that on their video board so it fit what they wanted to mm. do. So it, yeah. But that's what's neat about the logo. You can flip it back and forth and it really makes no difference. So it's <laughs> a, from that side, it's a very versatile logo. Yeah. Given that the, you know, the connection to Utah being the, the beehive state, you know, that the origin of the, of the nickname is from Utah being the, the beehive state. And it's not, as you referenced, you know, it was from the, the, the settlers of the area, you know, working hard at like bees. Is there a connection to actual bees in the area? Is there a prevalence of, you know, yellow jackets or bumblebees or anything like that? Uh, yellow jackets in particular, a matter of fact, uh, this uh, winter, I was taking my uh, wife to go see uh, the Dancing with the Stars traveling show downtown, and we had to drive by the ballpark. And as I was making a left turn in front of the ballpark, I got stung on the arm by a bee. Oh, almost no. Crashed, almost crashed into a light pole. So uh, uh, the bees are there. And uh, in fact, uh, I also do football and basketball for Weber State. And uh, our athletic trainer at the school is, is an avid beekeeper. And, and there's a lot of people who do that. But there's there's plenty of bees to be found in, in Utah. <laughs> How much have you learned in 28 years broadcasting for bee-themed teams here? How much have you actually learned about, about bees themselves as the animal? 
nothing whatsoever other than uh, the fact that they make honey and uh, and they like to sting me but other than that no. uh, fortunately, fortunately i'm not uh, uh, allergic to the bee stings like some people i know so uh, uh, i've not really delved into it too much but uh, i just think it's a, a fun nickname and it certainly evolves nice nicely into our mascot uh, bumble that is for sure yeah bumble is a terrific mascot i got to see bumble when i was there for a game earlier this season you all have some great ice cream there too. Like the, the logo looks terrific on an ice cream helmet. And so every time I'm there, I've got to make sure I get the ice cream helmet for the, for the collection. Uh, ice, ice cream, I think is second only to jello in food sales uh, in, in the state. And uh, <laughs> I know Utah state and uh, BYU argue as to which one of their uh, school creameries makes the best ice cream, the ice cream you had at the ballpark, Fars ice cream that's been in their family for over 100 years. And uh, they make some really, really good ice cream. So uh, it's uh, like I say, it's right there behind Jello is the number as number two uh, food sales item in the state. <laughs> See, I knew there was a reason I really liked this team. This is uh, that's a that's a that's a great thing to know about about Utah. You get to, I'm sure, interact with the players quite a bit. You mentioned a lot of the sort of, you know, wackier nicknames that exist out there in the minor league baseball landscape. Do you get to talk to the players about sort of how they feel about this? I mean, because the logo, it's not not menacing. I mean, bees are a little scary because you can get stung by them, but they're also, you know, as an animal, they're very vulnerable and they're, you know, we're, we're watching out for them and making sure their populations stay up. And But the logo itself is this adorable little sort of cartoon bee have you do you get to talk to the players about how they feel at the triple a level of baseball to uh, be wearing an, an adorable cartoon b for their logo well the, most of the guys at triple a are really focused on the big league logo so uh, not a whole lot but the ones that i have talked to they like the black and yellow motif i think the logo is good they like the name it's something that uh, i guess if they wanted to they could wear uh, away from the ballpark uh, not that many do but it uh, but for the most part, they, they they like the logo and they like the look, especially this year. Actually, last year, we added a bright yellow Sunday jersey with black letters and numbers outlined in white that really looks sharp. And they really like that. As a matter of fact, our starting pitcher last night, uh, normally we can only wear that at home on Sundays, but he's been starting on Tuesdays lately and he's uh, gotten special permission, asked for special permission to uh, wear the yellow jerseys uh, on uh, the days he starts because usually the starting pitcher determines what jersey you wear. And you mentioned some of the wacky nicknames. The double A affiliate of the Los Angeles Angels is, of course, the Rocket City Trash Pandas. So a lot of players who are on the triple A Salt Lake Bees are coming straight from the Trash Pandas. So they're going from a pretty wacky nickname to a more conservative one for sure. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, one of the pitchers uh, who was with them earlier this year wore his Trash Pandas polo shirt uh, on our flight to Oklahoma City the other day. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's unique, but uh, it doesn't do anything for me. And then when I reference our double-A team, I just refer to them as our double the Angels' double-A team. Occasionally say Rocket City, but I never add the others. Like, maybe I'm just uh, an old fuddy-duddy, but when uh, New Orleans was the baby cakes, I refused to say baby cakes on the air. I don't... Uh, reference space cowboys whenever i talk about sugarland they're just sugarland to me it's too wacky yeah you're 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 old school about this what about like the what about like the toledo mud hens you know is that uh, what about some of the older wacky ones well it's funny it's uh, you know people thought it was wacky when el paso went with the chihuahuas and absolutely now that name is, is relatively sane I, I maybe again it's just me but i always thought that uh, the wacky names might be fine for uh, low a and high a possibly double a but when you get to AAA, you're one step away from the big leagues. Let's act like it. 
All right. That's fair. It's a fair comment. Well, it's a logo, like I said, that looks really good on an ice cream helmet. I've got the I've got a very well-worn cap. It's it's kind of a, a dark gray now instead of black because I've worn it enough out there in the sun. But it's <laughs> it's a it's a logo I, I, I really enjoy. Well, uh, you talk about that. Uh, you talk about hats. Sorry to interrupt. But uh, no. one thing I've done since I started doing this in 1994, I've collected a fitted game hat from every team in the league since I started. And every time they change hats, I get the new hat to replace it on this uh, uh, rope that has clips that uh, hang in my basement. Uh, and the others are all in, in storage. And I looked back at some the other day, and there were some ugly hats in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to put you in touch with my friend Patrick Larson, who does a series on Twitter called the Minor League Baseball Hat History Series. And he's got this great, amazing collection of fitted caps from all over minor league baseball. Yeah, I figure now I'll have something to wear when I retire and is sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair. <laughs> so, so do you do you have a I, I'll ask you this question. Do you have a favorite minor league baseball logo that is not the the bees? Well, that's a good one. Let me just uh, think off the top of my head. I, I kind of like, uh, you know, as, as strange and wacky as things they do on the field uh, and off the field, I kind of like the uh, Isotopes uh, uh, logo. That's such a fun story. I love I love the Isotopes logo and, you know, the, the nickname that comes from a Simpsons episode. And yeah, that's a that's a really good one. When you started that sentence, I thought you were going to say the St. Paul Saints because they've got a real classic brand, but then a real wacky on field presence. Right, so, right. Yeah, I've never I've never seen the, their hat off the top of my head. And uh, uh, I don't know, it's just uh, uh, some of the I, I loved uh, back in the day, the uh, Calgary Cannon stuff uh, back when they were uh, uh, in our league back in the 90s and early 2000s. 2000s. Of course, you know, right now, there are actually three teams in the league that I can think of, at least well, two, that are former Portland Beavers, because yes. we're the former Portland Beavers, and uh, so are the El Paso Chihuahuas. And then you've got, uh, um, what team is it that was the, the Gulls? Uh, Al well, Albuquerque. Uh, Albuquerque is a former Salt Lake Gulls. That I feel like the 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 Beavers like there's like 50 teams out there that used to right. be the Portland Beavers. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, it's true that the the Pacific Coast League has some 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 sort of classic names. You know, you've got the the Express, you've got the Rainiers. The Rainiers is a brand I really like. So mm -hmm. and the and the Aces is another one. So anyhow, we could go down this rabbit hole for a long time, I think. Uh, but I, you know, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about the bees and and your experience with them in 28 years and 4,000 games as a broadcaster for the team. That's incredible. Let's try not to go eight years between conversations next time. Well, I appreciate it, Paul. And I'm really feeling my age today or uh, recently because uh, uh, we have our first ever father-son combination now. Uh, we have Torrey Hunter Jr., who recently hit his second home run. And I joked about the fact that he and his dad have combined for 24 homers in a Salt Lake uniform, which is the most <laughs> ever by a father-son duo. Of course, they are the only father-son duo. So I, I do feel old when I see every, every time I see Torrey Jr. at the ballpark. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I can see how that would be. But what an accomplishment, right? That's for, for you to be there for 28 years and 4,000 games. And next time I'm in Salt Lake City, I'm going to come knock on your door and say hi. Maybe not during the game, though. Please do. Please do. All right. Are you on uh, social media? Where can people find you online? Um, I, I'm on Twitter at, at SLB's Radio. SLB's uh, just, uh, Radio. Find, yeah, find me there. And uh, you know, more than happy to answer questions during the course of a, of a game or when it's not the course of the game, just to, if you have any questions or comments, just to feel free to tweet them back to me.
All right. Well, thank you so much again, Steve, for taking a minute to talk to me and uh, look forward to talking to you next time I'm in Salt Lake City. Sounds good, Paul. Thank you. All right, everyone. Welcome back. My pleasure, as always, to bring back one of Baseball by Design's favorite returning guests, Baseball by Design wildlife consultant, Ranger Amy Burnett. Ranger Amy Burnett, all the buzz is about the bees right now. We're talking about the Salt Lake bees, bringing you on to, to tell us all of the amazing things that we need to know about bees as critters and bees as baseball players. Welcome back, Ranger Amy. How are you? I'm great, and it's great to be here. Uh, all right. Okay. We're off and running. We're, We're starting doing it. this way. Yes, we're yeah. doing it. Okay. So <laughs> I have to say that uh, in, in your series of appearances here, you have rapidly become one of the, the Baseball by Design listenership's favorite returning guests. And in fact, some have called for you just to replace me straight up on the on this podcast. So. <laughs> Uh, I think we then at least have a succession would... plan in place. <laughs> then all, then it would only be about animals, all about yeah. animals all the time. That would make you and... the queen bee of baseball by design. Uh, I thought I was going to have all the puns. I'm, I'm not going to be able to hold a candle <laughs> or even any candle wax to you. Oh, okay. Here we go. All right, honey. All right. <laughs> Get it? See what I did? See what I did? I see what you did there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm very right. impressed. The Salt Lake bees, who's... You know, if you if you dig, as we have been doing on this on this podcast, the the bees nickname really doesn't have that much to do with actual bees. But that's why we want to bring you on is to tell us more about actual bees. We haven't really talked that much about actual bees here on the podcast so far. So if you would, what do we need to know about bees that would make them a great baseball team mascot? Well, bees are a good choice. They are definitely diligent. They are hardworking and. They work together, which a baseball team has to. They have that hive mind, right? So we can talk about that for in a little bit. Okay. They're just kind of all over athletes. So they're kind of a good representative for a baseball team. What do you when you say they're all over <laughs> athletes? So they're strong, they're fast. All that good stuff. Okay. Um, but actually I found that they only fly about twelve miles an hour, which you would think would be faster than a baseball player. And I found mm -hmm. out that a baseball player is about fifteen miles an hour as far as average speed running. So if um, you if you like kick a bee's nest by accident, you could literally outrun the bees. I think you could, Paul. Oh, I don't oh. think the average person could, but I think you know, Paul, with your with your athleticism, I think you could outrun a bee. All right, I'm gonna leave that in. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll let that stand. <laughs> so, um, but like the world's fastest runner, he can run about 27 miles an hour. Yeah. So bees can only fly about 12 miles an hour. So you, um, so yeah, not as fast as I thought. Uh, one thing to know about bees that most people mess up is that all worker bees are female. So any bee that stings is female. Oh, okay. Insert your favorite joke here. Uh, well, I don't have any joke about that, but I do. I My immediate thought went to the All-American Professional Girls Association as featured in the movie A League of Their Own. Yes, it reminds me of the le of A League of Their Own because all the bees are all that you see are always female because all the the boy bees are back in the hive mating with the female. They're the drones, and they're all um, just there to mate with the, the queen, and that's their purpose, and right. they don't stink. We're trying to maintain the the, the clean rating that we have on the Apple Podcasts here. So, we'll, yeah, we'll, we will – so as to not have to censor anything, we'll move on here. Let's talk about <laughs> the hive mind because we've talked about – on the Columbia Fireflies episode, we talked about the – you know, this – 
these insects sort of working together and how that represented a, a teamwork fairly well. So how, how do bees work together? How does the hive mind work? The hive mind is actually very cool. And I think that when someone says the hive mind, they think of just like, um, you know, everybody working together and it's all, and there's no individual thought, but that's actually not true. It's more of a democracy. The hive mind is actually a democracy. Okay. So bees go out and they find a food source or they find a good ne new nesting spot for a new hive. And then they come back to the hive and then they do a dance. It's called a waggle. And, uh, they just wiggle their little butts, so kind of like the bee version of twerking. And sorry, I'm trying to keep, <laughs> trying to keep the, the rating here clean, right? <laughs> That's good. Okay, so they're they're waggling. They're waggling, and they're telling right. the other bees distance, direction, and quality. So those are three things that you can actually determine from the waggle. And scientists can actually figure out by watching the waggle, like exactly where the hive is. They can actually pinpoint it. So it's uh, that's kind of a cool thing. When they do a waggle dance for the, the new hive location, they actually get an up or a down vote in the hive. So the different individuals go out and check it out for themselves. And then they come back and they're like, okay, I liked it. And then if the other ones don't agree, they'll actually kind of bully them into it and headbutt them. Wow. And eventually they come to sort of a, it, it's almost like people down on the floor of Congress, right? And they're just sort of, they battle it out until they finally come to some kind of an agreement and they get, yeah, and they vote on where they're going to move for the next hive. First of all, based on things that you have said to me while we've been at baseball games, I feel like watching the waggle is one of your favorite activities at a baseball game. So um, you'll have to have my friend Tammy on. She's going to make a book of, of guys' baseball butts. She has lots of pictures. So doing that. It's going to be a coffee table um, book. I think it'll be very popular. Uh, I'm picturing bees communicating to one another just with a series of complicated body movements. And all I can picture is like a, wow. a a third base coach, a first base coach sending sending signals to batters. It, it seems to me like if you're going to put a B actually on the ball field, the position they're playing is base coach, or you know, a manager in or, the dugout sending sending signals to to the players. Yes, so I think that they could be base coaches, and they could also be catcher and pitcher. That relationship is is pretty communicative as well. What about the gonna... runner on second base? trying to to tip the pitch to to the batter i wonder how often every player in the team does that that we just don't even know about so pitchers are, are constantly you know accidentally tipping pitches they're mm -hmm. you know infielders are sending nonverbal signals to each other just by the way they position their gloves like who's going to cover second base on a on a throw from home on, a, on an attempted steal so there's a lot of i mean in general there's a lot of nonverbal communication that happens between baseball players uh, on a baseball field I think that that yeah, that to me is sort of the the perfect metaphor for this uh, this hive mind that the uh, the Salt Lake bees have. I think it really is. You know, the the better the hive mind, the better the team. And it doesn't mean that they're all thinking the same way. It's just that they're all better. They're better at communicating. Mm -hmm. And so bees are really great at communicating. And the in the way the team functions, if they're all better communicators, then they're going to just be a better team all around. So what else, what, you know, outside of the context of like using bees as a metaphor for a baseball team, what else, what else is just cool about bees that we have to know? Um, a queen bee can lay up to 1200 eggs a day. Whoa. And uh, yeah, so basically her only job is to pump out babies. And uh, <laughs> it's pretty, that's pretty crazy to me. She only lives three to four years. Um, but she lives way longer. The average bee lives about six weeks. Six weeks yeah, six is weeks. all a bee lives. Yeah, six weeks is all like on average. Now in the in the winter months, they can live up to four months. What do you think the average length of a major league baseball career is? 
Um, three years. Wow, that's really good. Two point seven years. Oh wow! All right. Yeah, so like just that's over two cool. and a half years. Three years was a very good guess. I was I was going to guess way shorter than that. I was going to guess because of the, of the number of players who you know who make it there for like a day or a week or whatever and then never make it back. I thought that would have dragged the average way down. So there's only so many Charlie Huffs out there playing for 50 years. The other thing that we haven't talked about here is the the sweeter side of the bees here is their their honey production. The honey production is is a cool thing. How did how did that miracle happen where this this awesome animal that communicates by butt waggles also makes this delicious coffee additive? You know, it's pretty, I'm drinking some right now. It's actually pretty good. I go through a lot of honeybee work um, in a year for sure. The average bee only produces about a tablespoon of honey in their lifespan, so that's pretty. Uh, it's not very. It's not very much. It takes a lot of work to produce a lot of honey. So obviously, with bees in general. There's a lot of talk about like bee populations on the decline. There's there's colony collapse. There are other bees. There's lots of different kinds of bees, some native, some non-native. But what is what is the role that bees play in the larger ecosystem? And why do we need bees? And why do we love bees so much? You know, it's funny. I think about that a lot. You know, people love bees, but they don't love scorpions. They both sting. They could both hurt you. But yeah. people love bees a lot more than they love scorpions. I think it's because... It's not necessarily because they're cuter, because if you look at the, you know, see them in their skin. Look at this logo. Look how cute this logo is. <laughs> He's adorable. Yeah, the, Salt Lake, the Salt Lake bee is adorable. Look at them. They are kind of fuzzy and furry. Yeah. yeah. I think it's because they give us honey. If scorpions gave us like scorpion butter, we'd probably love them too, but they don't. They just stink. <laughs> scorpion butter. <laughs> this is your new get rich, uh, get rich quick scheme here. It's scorpion butter. Well, they do taste like chicken if you, you know, cook them, apparently, like over a fire pit. Is that true? Um, some people eat them. I don't know. You can put them okay. here in, in Scottsdale. They just put them in lollipops, set them home with people on the plane. Well, listen, post-apocalypse, when that's all that's left to eat, scorpions taste like chicken. That'll be good to know. I'm going to be, eat, yeah, I'll be eating a lot of, of scorpions. Okay. So, yeah, so back to bees. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, save that Save that other thing for the scorpions episode that we do about the oh, Arizona yeah, I'm going to do League. a scorpions episode. Yeah. I've got a lot for that one. So... So bees are important because they pollinate uh, most of the flowers and most of the flowers on the foods that we eat. Mm -hmm. So without bees, we pretty much would only have the bun of a Big Mac, if that makes sense. So if you think about all the ingredients in a Big Mac, the wheat bun, wheat is pollinated by wind, so that doesn't have to be pollinated by bees. But pretty much all the other ingredients are rooted in things that need to be pollinated. So You've got the tomato. Those need to be pollinated by bees. You've got the lettuce. That takes pollination by bees. When it comes to the beef and the cheese part of Big Mac, the plants and the food that are fed to the cows are mostly pollinated by bees. Everything, our whole food structure in the United States would pretty much collapse if we didn't have bees. And that's kind of a honeybees in particular. So that's a big thing. You know, when people say, oh, we wouldn't have the beautiful plants and flowers I see no no you'd have all those because all of your native bees are already pollinating those but the orange groves and the you know the, the almond groves and the fields of onions that you see those are all people bringing in hives of bees it's a multi-million dollar probably even billion dollar industry in the United States with people bringing beehives to to farms that need to be pollinated by bees do we really need honeybees which are non-native 
well, if we want to keep living in the same quality of life we have, then yes, we do, because we've built our agricultural system around honeybees that we bring in to pollinate the farmers' crops all over the country. When you say that they're not native, how long have they been here on this uh, on this continent? So bees were actually introduced to America in the 17th century. So they're a relatively new insect, and they're not native here. Honeybees, that is. But without, I mean, they've become so important that without the honeybees, there would basically be nothing to buy at the concession stand at your favorite minor league baseball game. Right. Everything really, almost everything that you eat depends on bees now. So we have to, yeah, it's a really big problem that that scientists are looking at, you know, how worried should we be about this colony collapse disorder thing that's happening. If you think about it, they're actually kind of like the canary in the coal mine because they're indicating if we have our bees are collapsing everywhere around us, then, you know, what are we doing to ourselves? So they're indicating that there are things in the environment that could be bad for, if they're bad for bees, they're going to be bad for us too. It's just a matter of time. For more on canaries and coal mines, check out uh, episode 38 on the Charleston Dirty Birds. But back to your point, I feel like you know, the important takeaway for me here is without bees, not only do we not have the Salt Lake bees, but we don't have the plants that have been pollinated to feed the cows that create the dairy that lead to me having an ice cream helmet at a baseball game. And that, I think, exactly. is really, that's an important you takeaway. get it. It's important. I mean, you'd still have, you could still have the Salt Lake bees, but they'd probably be bumblebees and you'd have to revise the logo. Sure, um, sure. You'd have to actually make them a little fatter. And uh, they would still be cute, though. They'd just be fat bumblebees instead of honeybees because as... honeybees are non-native and bumblebees are native. Okay. Do bumblebees have hives? No, they don't have hives. And so Utah would not be the beehive state without honeybees. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. that's not good. Yeah, um, they, would have to, they would have to change everything. That would be horrible. Yeah, I'm just I'm still worried about your ice cream helmet Sunday. I know, so. I know, me too, right? Like this That's is kind of I'm kind of stuck on that. That's not good league, at all. Minor league baseball fans, you know, get get your act together and help conserve bees because we need our ice cream helmets. Um, hey, guess what? Okay. Why do you never invite bees to a party? I don't know. Why do you never invite bees to a party? They just drone on and on. It's a very good joke. That's a very good joke. Ranger Amy, thank you for being here. As always, thank you for coming on the Baseball by Design podcast and educating us about the the, the uh, magnificent animals that make up these mascots that we love so much. Uh, just to sort of get out of here, what, what grade would you give this episode? What, what grade would you give it? I think I would give it a B plus. There you go. All right, everyone. Welcome back. I am so pleased right now to have Zach Beeson on the on the podcast. Zach and I have known each other through Twitter for for a while. We got to meet in person at a Columbus Clippers game. We almost got to meet again at, in Pasco, Washington at a Tri-Cities Dust Devils game, but we missed each other by one day. So Zach's a huge minor league baseball fan. If you follow Zach on Twitter, you know that Zach is a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints, posts about his faith a lot. Obviously, the nickname Bees in Salt Lake relates to the Mormon church and the use of, of bee iconography in uh, Mormonism. And so, Zach, not only is Zach a big minor league baseball fan, wearing a Salt Lake Bees cap right now, but Zach's last name is B-Sun. Is that related to your faith? Is, is the name Beeson actually related to your faith at all? Not at all. Um, it actually comes from England when my ancestors immigrated from uh, England way before like the USA was formed in colonial British times and 
that's where the name comes from. Okay. Well, I was I was hoping there was a connection there, but I still love that your name is Bee Sun and you're on the episode about the Salt Lake Bees here. Um, <laughs> before we get into the iconography of bees, how'd you get into minor league baseball? How come you're such a big minor league baseball fan? Um, so I grew up with the Norfolk Tides because my hometown is Chesapeake, Virginia. That whole area is Hampton Roads. Um, so I grew up going to Norfolk Tides games. Um, and then when I moved to Eastern Idaho to do my first two years of college at BYU-Idaho, I really love baseball. And I thought, how am I going to go see a baseball team? And so I decided to get online and oh, I wonder what minor league baseball team is around. And then that's when I found out Idaho Falls Chuckers are down the road from me. Um, and then I wondered how many other minor league baseball teams. So after a quick uh, Wikipedia search, I found out, oh, there's like 170 minor league teams around the country. And I want to go see all of them. And so I really started getting into minor league. I really, uh, I really actually thought I was like the only person that cared about minor league <laughs> baseball. Um, and then I found Ben Hill. And then I met Eric the peanut guy at a Biloxi Shuckers game. And we exchanged Twitter handles. And then he kind of introduced me to you and other people. And it's like, oh, there's other people that enjoy minor league baseball. I'm not in a world by myself. <laughs> and so it's, you know, that's even made this love for minor league baseball even bigger. Well, it is such a great community, isn't it? It's so much fun. And I, that's been such a huge pleasure for me, too, is getting to know this this awesome community of people who love minor league baseball. And, and you know, it's so different watching minor league baseball to me than it is major league baseball. I mean, right now, at the time of this recording, by the time this drops, we'll know what happened. But at the time of this recording, my Phillies are just about to start the World Series against the Astros. That's a couple days away. The emotional investment, right? And watching Major League Baseball when you've got your team, right? Like it's a it's a totally different experience, right? You get you get you get mad if your team loses, you get frustrated, you know, you watch the standings every day. I know there are some people who follow minor league baseball in sort of a similar way, but for the most part, I have found that minor league baseball enthusiasts are people who just love the atmosphere of baseball, love the game, will go to a game just to watch it for the aesthetics, the exciting moments. And if your team loses on a you know blown save or they win on a walk off, it almost doesn't matter. I know I know Eric Prophet from the Earned Fun Average tells me that that is not the case for him and his Wichita Wind Surge, but for the most part, minor league baseball fans, it's a sort of different feeling. It's a different community, and so I've I've always really enjoyed that about about this uh, this community for sure. Quick uh, shout out to uh, Bryce Harper, who is also a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. I have watched the replay of Bryce Harper's eighth inning home run. <laughs> I've I've watched the, the the game winning replay in the eighth inning against the Padres in Game Five of the NLCS roughly a million times. I mean, it's just like it's it, I'll, I'll I'll be like okay, just one more time. I'll just watch it, and then it ends, and it's just like well, it's on Twitter the 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 video loops, and it's just like well, let me <laughs> let me start that over again and do it again. You know, it's funny that you, know, that you would bring up Bryce Harper, right? Because I think Bryce Harper has, or at least had anyway, I don't know if it's so much the case anymore, but like he had a reputation of being kind of like a, a big timer and sort of a jerk. And at least, you know, maybe just because I'm a Phillies fan and he's on my team, but that's not the impression I have of him at all right now. Like he's always, he's so good with the fans. I'm always watching him. I love his habit of like trading hats with fans, right? Like he, he loves, you know, he'll like pick out a fan whose hat he likes and he'll, he'll like offer his hat for it in exchange. And they always say yes. And so Bryce Harper, he's, obviously a favorite of mine. He's competitive. He's competitive. It seems like that's something you'd want in a sport. Someone who's yeah. competitive. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Absolutely. He is one of those guys who I am glad he's on my team though. Right. He's not uh, like when he was on the nationals for sure. So 
Well, so anyway, <clears throat> uh, you mentioned the Church of Latter-day Saints, right? Like, so let's let's talk about the iconography, the use of bees. How come you know that the state of Utah has has beehives all over their their highway signage, their official nickname, the Beehive State? So, what is the connection between bees and Mormonism? Um, so before I get started, I'll give you a, two little side notes. So disclaimer, I'm not the PR media relations guy for the <laughs> church. Uh, I'll put that out there. Um, and then also um, the term Mormon is kind of a colloquial term. I get that. Um, okay. So the correct name of the church itself is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay. Uh, I understand that's a mouthful. Um, but in the early days of the church in the 1800s, terms such as Mormon church, Mormons were kind of used as epithets, uh, cruel and abusive terms at the time. Hmm. Uh, and so the members today are called Latter-day Saints uh, rather than Mormons. It's kind of like a follower of Islam would be a Muslim. So like, oh, he's a Latter-day Saint. He's a Catholic. He's a Muslim. Um, okay. And so with that, with the bees, give you like kind of a brief background history on the church. Um, I set this up kind of using minor league geography, if you will. Um, so the church itself uh, was restored in Palmyra, New York, uh, not too far from the Rochester Red Wings. Um, and then after some persecution, we can save that for a different podcast or a different time of who started what. Um, but then the church moved to Kirtland, Ohio, which is just south of the Lake County Captains. Um, the church started to grow there. Um, and then eventually uh, more of that persecution, and also in part to the uh, financial panic in the United States in 1837. Uh, they picked up and moved to far west Missouri, not too far from the Kansas City Royals. Um, so it was out here in Kansas City. Um, some of the persecution started uh, cropping up again, and so the Missouri governor at the time, Governor Boggs, uh, he issued what was called Missouri Executive Order 44, um, and if anybody has seen Star Wars, uh, Order 66, it's very similar. And so this executive order allowed for the extermination or driving members out from the state of Missouri entirely. Um, and that law actually wasn't rescinded until like the late 1970s, which is like really weird. Um, and then so they fled to Illinois, um, Nauvoo, Illinois, not too far from the uh, Quincy Gems from the uh, Prospect Summer Collegiate League. Um, it's here when the church really started to grow and pick up uh, lots of members coming from the British Isles, different parts of Europe, U.S. Um, Nauvoo had gotten so big, it even rivaled the uh, population of Chicago at the time. Um, and then, of course, like I said, the persecution started creeping up again. Uh, Joseph Smith himself was actually killed in Illinois. Um, and that's when the saints, they left, went to Winter Quarters, Nebraska, not far from the Omaha Storm Chasers. Um, and this is where they kind of reorganized, and that's where Brigham Young took charge. And they made the trek uh, on the Mormon Trail and uh, eventually made it to Salt Lake City. And so now I get to the bee part, the beehive part. So Brigham Young, he's generally credited with the uh, symbolism with the bees. Um, within the area, um, they used a Book of Mormon language term, uh, Deseret, meaning honeybee. And so when we think about honeybees, uh, they're hardworking, they work together, they have efficient communication. Uh, they have this hive mentality. Uh, I feel like Ranger Amy would explain this better than I can. <laughs> um, so we think of how much work is put in just to make a teaspoon of honey. Like they have to visit millions of flowers. Um, and so it's this community that's working together. Um, we also know, including myself, uh, the hard way uh, that bees will also defend themselves when they're provoked. 
um, and they'll sting. And so they really had this hive mentality of being a strong community, working hard, um, industrial type of living. Um, and so Brigham Young, he used this mentality to inspire church members to work together. Because you think of Salt Lake City at the time, when they got there, it's kind of a no trees, kind of a wasteland, deserty type of area. Um, and they didn't really have any other resources or other towns nearby, because you think at the time, LA, San Francisco, St. Louis, those were kind of the closest cities. Um, so they really had to be self-sufficient at the time. And so they were taught to be an industrious people, kind of how bees are industrious and hardworking. Um, and that's something you really see with the uh, bees. You see the word industry on the beehive, like on the state seal, uh, some of the statues that are around the city. Um, and so, like I said, no, no other cities were close, so they had to be a self-sufficient people. Um, so it's really from here that that symbolism took off, this iconography of the beehive. Um, so most of the depictions in the state, uh, they use an upright kind of a beehive, um, and that style is called a skep, um, which are actually illegal in most of the United States for beekeeping, um, something that I learned when I was gearing for this interview. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, but the beehives, they're depicted everywhere. They're on the beehive house where Brigham Young lived uh, when they first got to the uh, Salt Lake Valley, uh, the Joseph Smith Memorial Building in Temple Square. Um, in downtown Salt Lake. Uh, I highly encourage all the listeners to check out Temple Square sometime. It's a really cool place. Um, but you'll see it on the state highway signs, the state flag, you even have uh, news publications, bookstores, even on doorknobs, doors, license plates, park benches, everything. Um, even monuments, like I said, uh, with the word industry on it, because that's a heavy, heavily used term with the beehive. Um, I even have a honey jar in the kitchen shaped like a beehive nice. <laughs> um so very much like the uh, city of atlanta that uses peaches on everything uh, salt lake uses these beehives um which really mean industry and working hard for the uh the, the whole of the community and that's also in part why utah is known as the beehive state so there are there are a couple of other minor league teams called the bees i know that the burlington bees are in iowa and they actually have a direct relationship with the Salt Lake Bees, there was a, I remember when I wrote the story for sportslogos.net talking about the fact that they, they have a, I, I, if I'm remembering this correctly, they actually like trade ads in each other's program guides and invite one another to each other's games as, as part of this sort of relationship, because I think the Burlington Bees had the name before the Salt Lake Bees did. And that was just sort of a, an informal relationship that they came up with to to promote one another, you know, and, and that there's a strong population of members of the church in, in Iowa as well that, you know, so there was a, a direct relationship there. The New Britain Bees, who are an independent team in New Britain, Connecticut, I don't think there's any relationship there between the church and 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 that team name, but I know that there is with Burlington and with Salt Lake. So, I mean, it's interesting to me that there are the, the three teams named Bees and two of them, you know, have a direct relationship to these these communities that you're describing and the, the path that they took across the country that you were describing. So the the bee itself, I mean, you're wearing the logo right now. The bee itself, I kind of love just because he's he's adorable, right? Like he's one of my favorite logos. I've been to I've been to two Salt Lake Bees games. And it's you know great ballpark. Have you been out there? Have you been to? Uh, I know you live in Indiana, so have you been to? Have you been to Salt Lake for a game? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful ballpark with this uh, with this amazing yeah. view there. Absolutely. Yep, I love it. It's beautiful with the Wasatch Mountains in the background. Uh, great place. Uh, 
great place to watch a game. Uh, I've only been once, and I watched them lose to the uh, Sacramento River Cats. Well, this is, you know, I, I I knew I could reach out to you and talk about the the story of the relationship between the church and the the use of of bee imagery, uh, and especially, you know, because everyone sees it, you know, everyone sees it when they drive through Utah or if they're in Salt Lake City, you see the beehives and. And I don't, I don't know that there's a full understanding of of that connection and where that iconography comes from throughout the state. So, so thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on and talking about it and and telling that story and sharing that origin. How are you planning to get through the off season now? Um, so I actually watch all the winter leagues. So baseball for me stops for from the time the last out is made in the Caribbean series to the first pitch of spring training. So I go about a week and a half without baseball. That's pretty good. That's pretty good living right there. It's a good, <laughs> good job by you, Zach, where, where can people follow you on Twitter? Um, so they can follow me at a uh, Zach Beeson 22. Um, that's where they can find me. I don't have Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. I'm hardly on Facebook. Um, and if they also want to learn more about the church, they can go to uh, churchofjesuschrist.org. Thank you so much, Zach. This was uh, this was interesting for me to learn this, and I appreciate you coming on and talking about it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.